all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm Dr. Michelle Owens, specialist in maternal fetal medicine and OBGYN at UMMC. And today's topic, the breasts, the décolletage. Lumps, bumps, bruises, skin changes, discharge, pain. What's the real purpose of the breast? We know that there are several different things that we use them for, but exactly what else does the breast do? Um, Learn breast facts, share stories, ask questions. Um, We'd like for you to share your comments and any experiences with us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464, or you can send us an email to women at mpbonline.org. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Jim Hawk. President Obama and his family head to Massachusetts this weekend for their annual summer vacation. NPR's Scott Horsler reports before leaving town, Obama held an hour-long with reporters. President Obama fielded Pentagon about ISIS, Iran, and Donald Trump. He says the U.S. and its allies are making headway against the self-proclaimed Islamic State, but cautions Americans still have to be vigilant against the terrorist attacks. And he poo-pooed warnings from the Republican presidential nominee about the possibility of tinkering with the election that's still three months away. Of course the elections will not be rigged. What does that mean? This week, Trump and his Democratic rival, Hillary Clinton, both began receiving classified intelligence briefings. Obama says the two candidates have been warned not to spread the details around. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington. The city of Chicago is bracing for the release of another video showing the shooting death of a black suspect at the hands of police. Patrick Smith from member station WBEZ reports 18-year-old Paul O'Neill was unarmed when he was shot and killed by Chicago police officers last week. Officers say they shot O'Neill after he sideswiped a cop car with a stolen vehicle. The autopsy showed he died of a gunshot wound to the back. All three of the officers involved in the shooting were wearing body cameras, but the device on the officer who delivered the fatal shot was not recording. Still, the video evidence available was strong enough for police superintendent Eddie Johnson to strip all three officers of their police powers. Now the city is taking the unprecedented step of releasing the videos just days after the shooting. The city agency tasked with investigating police shootings is scheduled to post the videos on its website at 11 local time. The timely release is part of a new policy of transparency, started after the city took more than a year to release video of a previous incident. For NPR News, I'm Patrick Smith in Chicago. A British version of the Black Lives Matter movement blocked a road leading to London's Heathrow Airport today and held protests in three other British cities. Ten people were arrested. The Summer Olympics officially debut tonight in Brazil. Three-time gold medalist Venus Williams is looking forward to it. Opening ceremonies is an amazing time for us and the world. It's, It's a surreal experience. The opening ceremony starts in Rio this evening. NBC will air it. The three-hour event will feature 4,800 performers and volunteers, as well as the lighting of the Olympic cauldron. 
Employers added around 255,000 jobs last month, a sign of a resilient U.S. economy. The unemployment rate remained unchanged at 4.9% in July. The two straight months of job gains may be enough to reassure Federal Reserve policymakers that the economy will keep growing at a slow but steady pace. Stocks are higher on Wall Street as investors welcome the report showing the job market was strong. The Dow is up 156 points. You're listening to NPR News in Washington. A new development in the saga of the world's biggest aviation mystery. The Malaysian transport minister is confirming that one of the pilots of Malaysia Airlines Flight 370 had plotted a course on his home flight simulator to the southern Indian Ocean, where the missing jet is believed to have crashed. But he also cautioned there were thousands of destinations on the simulator. The underwater search for MH370 is about to be suspended. South Africans are waiting for final results in municipal elections. Peter Granitz reports from Pretoria. The ruling African National Congress is witnessing major losses. While the final votes are still being counted, it's becoming more clear the ANC will lose its majority in at least three municipalities. Nelson, Mandela Bay, Johannesburg, and Schwani, which includes Pretoria. Johannesburg is the economic driver of South Africa, and Pretoria is the country's capital. It's a major setback for the ANC. The party Nelson Mandela led to power in 1994 following the first ever all-race elections in South Africa. This marks the first time support for the party has dipped below 60% nationally. Party insiders could try and recall President Jacob Zuma, who's being blamed for his party's weak performance. For NPR News, I'm Peter Granitz in Pretoria. Some college students in Ohio will soon be able to get machine-dispensed pizza. Xavier University in Cincinnati is partnering with a French company to install the first pizza ATM in North America. Customers will be able to use a touchscreen to pick one of the $10 pizzas, which will be heated for several minutes, placed in a cardboard box, and ejected through a slot. I'm Jim Hawk. NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR member stations and from Zillow with alerts that notify home buyers about new homes on the market when there's a change in price and open houses that match their search criteria. Zillow, find your way home. And from the listeners who support this NPR station. Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app. Available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I'm Terry Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to women at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Good morning, and from MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Owens, a specialist in maternal fetal medicine and OBGYN at UMMC, and I am joined today in the studio by Dr. Allie Brown, who is a pathologist. Yes, I am. Yes, you are. Today we are talking about, we're doing a breast show. 
We are aiming to give you the breast information today. So hopefully you are all ready for this. Um, we are going to take any questions that you may have. So um, just really quickly, this is going to be related to all things breast. So not just limited to breast cancer. Um, we're going to talk about breast structure, function. We'll talk about um, any pain that you may have, nostalgia, which is uh, called breast pain. Um, we're going to talk about lumps. We can talk about any skin changes, other things associated with the breast. Um, there's a lot of information that's out there about breast cancer, and so that probably has a lot of awareness um, surrounded by it. But um, there are also um, benign breast issues um, and, and other things that can happen with the breast, and so we're going to talk a little about that as well today. Um, I'd like to just give out the phone number. It's one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send us an email if you're not able to call um, to women at mpbonline dot org. Um, you can tweet to us if you'd like to on our Twitter feed. Dr. Brown, you are at Allie Brown MD. That's A L I Allie Brown MD. And you can send me a tweet at Dr. Michelle Owens. That's hard to remember. I kind of try to make it that way. <laughs> Dr. Michelle Owens. Yep. Dr. Michelle Owens. Um, so, yeah. Um, so we're just going to jump right in. But before we do, I would like to say, do you know what today is? Friday. Besides that. It's an anniversary. That's right. It is our anniversary. So we are celebrating two years of Southern Remedy for Women. It's our second birthday. Hooray. Jay, cue up the applause. No, but I, I'm really excited. This has just been so much fun. We have had a blast. And so even though um, this wasn't really part of the segments, I just wanted to selfishly take a moment and say to all of our listeners and the supporters, um, the people who are... Um, who are sustainers with MPB, who donate uh, financially, and to all the people who have given us so much love, support, um, constructive criticism, and wonderful feedback through your emails and messages and phone calls. Um, and when we've gone out and been able to see you on the road, thank you so much for your support of the show. We um, endeavored for this to be a opportunity for us to spread information for women's health and also for the people who love women. Um, and hopefully this has been a good vehicle for people to get sound information um, that has been of use not only to them, but to their families. We hope that it helps to um, make things better for women and their families, not only within the state of Mississippi, but within our entire listening area. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. It has given um, myself, uh, Karen Brown, who's not here. She actually selfishly loves doing it. Dare I say she likes doing it more than the news. Um, I can say that because she's not here. Um, to actually respond. Um, and also, uh, Dr. Brown, an opportunity to to really do something that we enjoy. Um, and hopefully it's been a benefit. So this is our little opportunity as we are celebrating our second birthday. Um, we're toddlers now in radio. Um, Terrible to twos. We're yeah. going to start acting up. <laughs> to say thank you so much for your support. So now, Without further ado, we are moving on to um, to the breast. Front and center. Absolutely. Um, no pun intended. 
Dr. Brown, behave. We're going to need you to behave today. Again, everybody, the um, phone number, one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Email, again, is women at mpbonline.org. So um, I thought that first we'd just kind of start off with just some um, interesting facts about breasts. So what do you think the average size for um, a woman in the United States is? Bra size. Like bra size. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Just I would say thirty six B. Oh wait, no. With obesity, is higher. there a? Eh, can we get it? How about thirty six C? No. The average U.S. woman wears a size forty D bra. That's obesity. That that's the average. But I'm just saying that's why because a lot of people are large. The bigger you are, the bigger everything else is. Well, but Usually. you got to think about it though. And and the other thing is that breast tissue. A lot of breast tissue is fat. Right? Most of it, the vast so, majority. Correct. Um, so the muscles that are actually underneath breasts, like the pectoralis muscles, are actually underneath and not a part of the breast proper. So, um, and back to the the average breast uh, size or average cup size of a woman in the United States, that means that it's about three pounds total of breast mass. So roughly about a pound and a half per breast. I thought that was just a random, interesting little factoid. Oh, absolutely. I mean, women who uh, can get a lot of back pain and shoulder pain, you know, you can see the, the probably people in the audience that have this phenomenon where the, the straps of the bra can really dig into shoulders and leave marks like dips in their <laughs> tissue there. Mm-hmm. It, you know, having large breasts can be a really uh, serious physical impairment. Absolutely. Um, and can justify um, reasons for surgical intervention, yeah, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so you've touched on actually by saying that several different things, because one of the other things is that, you know, they say there's an estimate that over 80 percent of women uh, don't even wear the correct size bra. Oh, I, wearing I saw that Ill, Oprah episode. An ill-fitting or inappropriate sized bra. And so um, one of the most important things that a woman can do with respect to just general breast health um, is to make sure that you are wearing an appropriate size bra. And so, um, you know, you think about when you're little kids, we all can remember going to the shoe store and purchasing and purchasing shoes, our parents buying shoes, and they would put your foot in the little measuring thing to figure out you what stand size, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly what size you were. And so you think about it, if we care enough to make sure that our children have their feet in the right sized shoe, um, you know, also there are times when you need to be professionally fitted um, to make sure that you are wearing the right size apparatus, whatever it may be. And one of the things that can really make a difference for many women, um, especially for those of average size being the 40D, um, is to make sure that you have on the right um, bra and that for whatever activities that you are undergoing, that you also have appropriate support for them. So um, I just thought that those were two relatively interesting factoids because I, like you, when I was thinking about well, what's the average size, I had greatly underestimated it. And I, yeah, think, I was down. Yeah, and I think that um, it's really important for people to understand those things that we tend to think, you know, what, what society may give us as what is the imagery for the norm um, or what is the norm may not necessarily be reflected in what we see in marketing or in magazines. Um, but in actuality, 
what we really are can be something very different or what most people are. Those things yeah. may not necessarily represent the norm. And I think I was thinking of like my age group peers, but you think about like what your grandma looks like and things like that. All those are in the average for a woman. Absolutely. I mean, so I was kind of thinking like a, no, a this different is all thing. women, yeah. all comers. I have a, a story about the bra size. So I'd seen some show or read some article about not knowing your bra size. And I said, gosh, I don't know how to determine that. So I opened it up on YouTube. You, there are many videos actually on YouTube of how to um, figure out your bra size appropriately. And I had it, it was on my phone. And the next day I was at work and one of my male colleagues was in my office and we were about to look something up. And you know how YouTube does? Like I opened it up and it was like still on that. It was like, your, measure your breasts, blah, blah. I was really embarrassed. But yeah. if anyone needs a resource... YouTube has many videos on how to measure your appropriate bra yeah. size. Or you can go to like one of these specialty stores Absolutely. like um, Sal Liz yeah, mm -hmm. and, and things like that. And they yeah. will, those and ladies a, will help you out. Yeah, in a, in a lingerie store that's local. And um, so, and actually Sal and Liz is the one that um, I've heard over and over again mm -hmm. for uh, women to say that they have kind of experienced an epiphany of sorts when they've been in that store Absolutely. because they've actually had someone to measure them, fit them appropriately and to find them the right kind of, I, I'm using uh, Dr. Stephanie's term gear, gear um, yeah. but undergarments for, yeah, for their undergarments. And I think um, for many women, especially those with heavier breasts and even those with smaller, it's just yeah. nice to have, you know how it is when you put on something that fits you just right. And those things that are a little too big or a little too small just never make you as comfortable as the thing that fits just right. And that can actually start with undergarments as opposed to just the things that you put on, yeah. on from an outer wear Any stylist will tell you the first step in having a great outfit is your foundation, you know, how you look underneath it. Absolutely. Well, um, so I think it's about time for us to take our first uh, first break. Um, so we are here, Dr. Uh, Allie Brown and me, the host, Michelle Owens, and we are talking about uh, breasts. So we will be happy to pick this up uh, right after this. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, offering hybrid doctorates, K-12 leadership, higher education, and math education. Combine online and face-to-face -face courses to graduate in three years. More information at education.olemiss.edu. MPB is getting its very own car tag. But first, we need your help. To begin production, we need 300 of you to say yes to the tag. Go to mpbonline.org slash car tag for more information and also to sign up. A portion of the fee goes to help MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. Thanks for your help, and we'll see you on the road. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. 
We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to women at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. Today we are talking about, um, on our anniversary, um, slash birthday, we're talking about um, breasts. And um, so this is kind of all things breasts, so we're not just focusing on breast cancer. I think breast cancer gets a lot of, um, there's a lot of information that's out there. It gets a lot of publicity. Um, but we also are talking about some of those things that are probably a little less widely known um, and sharing some little breast factoids. If you have any questions, and as always, we're taking just your general women's health questions. Um, so please feel free to give us a call. That number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can shoot us an email if you're unable to call, and that email should go to women at mpbonline.org. Um, so, Dr. Brown, let's, let's start uh, with the issue of, I guess, basically structure and function. So, um, why do we, why do we have breasts? What's the, what's the purpose of the breast overall? Um, and we're talking about this just from a, you know, strictly a, a physiologic uh, standpoint. Lactation, right? So breasts are there to feed babies because we are mammals. Indeed. <laughs> and so, so that's and, what they're and there then for. the question, so then the other question is, well, well, why don't, well, why do men have breasts? Oh, they do indeed. And they have uh, ducts, but they don't have the actual parts that make milk. Right. So they have breasts, but they're not quite the same. So yeah, so they, they're there, but they don't function in the same way. That's and right. part of that has to do, I think, with the fact that the default gender is female. Yeah, why do we have the, an appendix? Yeah, and when so when we when we first begin development, um, it's kind of all female based, and then when the male contributor starts to kick in and hormones and those things actually take place, then that's when development branches off and they start to develop into men. And so there are certain aspects that are not needed because men will not nurse and all of those other mm-hmm. things that women will do. So and there are pathologic conditions where men do develop breasts. It's called gynecomastia. And that's not an uncommon phenomenon. Absolutely. And there are lots of different things that can lead to gynecomastia. Um, and so it can be um, exposure to certain substances that can lead to that, um, the concept of male breast development. But that's not considered um, a normal phenomenon. And usually when that happens, there's something either hormonal or some other stimulus that creates um, breast development um, in men. But the fact that they have, you know, the basic building blocks there is kind of that creates the opportunity for, uh, for more development. Um, so let's go back to, so, so for lactation, so the purpose of breasts is to have the capacity. It's a collection of glands. Um, and those glands have the capacity to create milk, um, so that we can sustain our species. Absolutely. And even the non-lactating female has uh, lactational secretions in her breast, which is also interesting. Mm-hmm. And in, and the 
capacity to do that actually continues for a, a very long period of time. So um, even for women who have breastfed children or who've had children and haven't breastfed, they still maintain the ability to produce milk that can very easily be stimulated in women. Um, and it doesn't have to necessarily be because they have born a child, which is really amazing when you stop and think about it. So um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about is um, we we're talking about pathology and, and normal, but there's also a, a big connection, I think, with femininity and breasts. And there's been a lot of discussion as we talk about, you know, breast augmentation is still the most one of the most common um, plastic surgery, cosmetic surgical procedures performed. Um, the numbers have increased dramatically. Did you know that implants have been available since the 1960s? Um, but yet it really started to take off around the 80s and 90s. And since that time, we've had over 300-fold increase in the numbers of people undergoing augmentation um, or or a combination of that or reconstruction. So breast surgery is also very common. Um, and I think there's been a little bit more conversation as of late about the the feeling that women have or a a correlation or a connection to femininity and how that is somehow related to the presence of their breasts, no matter what their size may necessarily be. And this kind of comes, I think, more to the forefront when we talk about women who, for whatever reason, have had to have mastectomies or in the case of breast cancer or the option of um, breast removal for women who have certain cancer histories. Um, and so I, I kind of, what, what are your thoughts? I think some people really um, feel that that is a very defining part of their femininity. And there are some women, I mean, you know, we talk about I'm not my hair or, you know, there are some women who have that, they feel like their reproductive capacity um, is one of the things that really defines them as a woman. Um, and then there are some people for whom the presence of their breast is very meaningful um, and their overall feelings of femininity and also um, for sexuality and for their ability to feel desirable or to consider themselves desirable. Um, and I think that that's another important issue related to, you know, breasts in general. And, and probably one of the things that people are more comfortable thinking about or discussing even more so than if there's something wrong with breasts. And I think that those, if we don't at least acknowledge that, then we can't get to issues or barriers to people getting more information when they feel like something may be wrong with the breast. Yeah, because it's you know still a little bit taboo, a lot less than it used to be in the past. And then to me, people identifying their femininity or whatever, if it's about you, then go for it. You know, if if you decide to pursue breast augmentation, as long as it's your choice and you're not doing it to meet someone else's standards. I think that that's a, a, a big thing that has to be taken into account. Very important point. And if anybody's out in the listening audience and would like to share their particular perspectives on this, or if you've had an experience where you have um, considered augmentation, or if you have had a mastectomy, please give us a call, share, share with us your story. That number is one eight seven seven mpb ring 
That's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. You know, there's so much about empowerment and um, about women, um, and this is not just a—it's not a feminism thing per se, but the whole concept of women being more comfortable, um, like accepting, you know, who they are and being able to state their particular truth without it being tied to some objectifying type situation um, that may have come from another individual, which I think is kind of what you were speaking of. Um, And so that's kind of, I think this is really pertinent, at least at this point in time. Um, But I think it's also very real that there are some people who are led to believe. And I think a lot about uh, our younger women or adolescents who are transitioning from, you know, that childlike state into puberty slash biological adulthood, Mm -hmm. biological adulthood, because there's a whole lot more to, to happen and to develop. Um, But I think that, that those messages and the images that people see um, and how they internalize that and make that a part of how they define themselves, those messages and images are really important. And, um, We are definitely bombarded uh, societally with all kinds of images, whether, I mean, it doesn't matter what you're selling. You can be selling tires and somehow there may be a scantily clad woman or breasts or whatever that are shown. And and this encouragement, there's always the the plunging neckline um, and all of those other things that kind of help to promote something that may not necessarily always be the healthiest or the norm for, um, for women. And I think it's just very important that women are very upfront and that they reclaim those things that are truly genuinely them and that they can state what defines them as they see, as opposed to uh, someone else's perspective. Absolutely. But you know, Breast augmentation, I think one of the reasons it's become more popular is because it's become safer over the years. Um, There have been many developments as far as the type of implant that is used. Uh, They are safe. Even silicone implants have been shown to be safe, despite uh, things that happened probably earlier on in the the 90s. Like with leakage. Yeah, the whole Dow Corning Mm -hmm. thing. Um, They've been shown now to be safe. Um, And just would want to emphasize to any woman out there considering undergoing breast augmentation that you go to a reputable board certified plastic surgeon. So do your research because although it is a minor surgery and it is relatively safe, any medical procedure, any surgery, you look for this surgery, you're going to get put to sleep. You're going to have a foreign body put into your body. So any risk associated with anesthesia, infection, bleeding, it there are serious risks, so it's not something to be taken lightly. So just make sure you are educated in going in uh, with, with the best knowledge that you have. Absolutely, and ask ask questions. Um, and there's nothing wrong with um, seeking multiple opinions even you bet. Um, to make sure that you find a, a provider and that you find um, an environment in which you feel comfortable. You bet. It's, it's important. Should we segue now to breast disease and talk about some of the more common reasons women might go to see a, or who do you go to see? Do you, you're an obstetrician slash gynecologist. If I'm having an issue, let's say I am having pain, breast pain, 
where do I go? What do I do? Well, um, so you could take that question to uh, your primary care doctor. Um, Fortunately, many women have an OBGYN and um, they may feel more comfortable having that conversation with their OBGYN. Um, That being said, um, OBGYNs are not the only people who can handle that. Um, And in many instances, um, a general uh, practitioner, and and even in in some cases, if it's just an advanced practice provider, any healthcare provider should at least be able to um, point you in the right direction. Um, But a general practitioner, any primary care provider should be able to address those concerns. Um, I would probably say that as OBGYNs, we probably deal with them a little bit more frequently um, just because... All your patients are women. Yes. <laughs> First of all, all right? Our, yeah, all of our patients are women. <laughs> they all have breasts. And we um, we are usually the ones who do their examinations, et cetera. But there are some instances where um, other providers provide that service for people. And so um, I would just say that any primary care physician can do it, um, and OBGYNs definitely so. If you have a problem with be- breast pain, um, then you should or be able anything, to go lumps to primary care. Or anything, lumps or, you know, yeah. nipple discharge. I mean, these are... Co- more common things that women, because although we hear a lot more about it, and you touched on this really important part when we we first began the show this this morning, that breast cancer we hear a lot about, but it's probably one of the more rare breast problems. Absolutely. These benign problems are far more common. Fibrocystic change, mm-hmm. you guys in the audience have probably heard of that, just diffusely lumpy, bumpy breasts on both sides that, that kind of yes. alter with your um, menstrual cycle. Are th- these are a lot more common yeah. than cancer. And when you think about, um, so the, and the likelihood of you, of, of those benign problems and what's more common actually changes depending on your age, right? So our, um, the influence of hormones and um, the fluctuations of hormones that we see um, during normal menstruation and the, the periods and cycles before menopause um, those make certain things much more common. And so like, for example, there may be a woman who has found a lump and instead of just getting sent for a mammogram, she may get sent for a mammogram and an ultrasound because in menstruating women, it's far more common for a lump to be a benign and B a cyst, um, as opposed to it actually being a solid tumor and being cancerous. Um, and while that is not always the case, um, it is far more common. Now, anytime that somebody finds a mass on their breast, um, it should be cause for concern. And if it persists, if it changes, if it gets larger, then you should definitely um, have that followed up. Um, don't just allow um, a mass that you detect to go uninvestigated. Um, because while the majority of the time it's going to be something that's benign, um, we all know that every now and again, it's not. And um, breast cancer, uh, while it is much more common in women of um, older ages, um, it is also very much um, alive and well in those women who are premenopausal or who are younger. 
um, and your family history can have a lot to do with that. Um, once again, I just want to give out the phone number. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to take a quick break, and we will come back with our next segment. Uh, hopefully you'll give us a call, share, share with us your questions and your concerns. print impaired mpb's radio reading service is here for you our dedicated team of volunteers bring the world of news and entertainment to you for information and to see if you qualify call us at 601-432-6301 catch up on past episodes and hear any of the mpb programs you've missed on the mpb public radio app available on itunes and google play listen live to mpb think radio and mpb music radio Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Every summer has its song. Is this the summer song of 2016? Sold to one of the biggest names in hip-hop by the teenagers who created it. No one really taught me how to make music. I just did my own little research. Making a Summer Song, later on All Things Considered, from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is NPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on NPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to women at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We're back at Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Dr. Michelle Owens, and I'm here in the studio with Dr. Allie Brown. And we are having a wonderful conversation today about breasts. Um, yes, the décolletage. Oh, yeah. That's one of my favorite words. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm usually scared to say it because I don't know the right way to say it. But you, you did it. That's good. Are I, you French? I'm not French. That's the only French word I know. And croissant. Oh, croissant. Those are my, yeah, those are my two. There you go. But yeah, so um, so on during the break, you um, you mentioned a couple of really good points that I thought we should emphasize for our listening audience. Once again, to everybody, we are talking about the breast today, um, and we are anxious to um, have you join in on our conversation. So if you'd like to call and share a comment or a question, that number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six. Seven two seven four six four, or you can shoot us an email at women at mpbonline.org. I have not yet received a tweet from anybody, but if you wanted to tweet your questions to us, you may do that as well. Um, so, uh, Dr. Brown, 
uh, you can go ahead with that. Um, yeah, one thing I, I w- wanted to bring up, it's something that I've encountered multiple times in my professional career, just being a breast pathologist, is that people who have worked with me or know my specialty will call me very scared because they've been called back for their mammogram. So women will go have a what we call a screening mammogram. And then they'll call back and say, for some reason, they need to come back for an additional test, you know, a more focused x-ray, because a mammogram is just an x-ray of the breast. And they just think immediately, I have breast cancer, right? I mean, and that's natural. You just have this anxiety about why something's abnormal. Why am I getting called back? And the first thing I always tell these ladies is the vast majority of women who get called back for a mammogram, the vast, vast majority don't have cancer. So you know, there's something that they just want to take a closer look at. The radiologist, they have different ways of like compressing the breast during a mammogram and things like that to see if lesions that they might see kind of uh, diffuse out. You know, it was just maybe a thicker area of tissue rather than a tumor. And then even uh, having to have a biopsy. So most women who get called back for a mammogram do not end up having to have a biopsy. But even those who end up having a biopsy, the vast majority of biopsies are benign. When I sit down for a day's work with a stack of breast biopsies, it's not uncommon for me to go, you know, a couple days and there's not a cancer in the pile. You know, most breast disease is benign. So just There may be some women out there right now who are going through this who are waiting on results from a callback on a mammogram or even anxiety about the initial mammogram. But just to put their minds at ease, uh, most commonly uh, these results are are benign, but it is important to follow through because sometimes indeed they, they, they are cancerous or precancerous lesions. Wonderful. All right. So we are going to go to um, our phone lines where we have Steve calling from Fayette. Um, good morning, Steve. I, 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 I was just calling about my sister. She had, uh, I want to say Blue Cross. I don't mind naming them, but I, I'm not sure that's correct. But uh, she had good insurance because she was a teacher at a college in Mississippi for all her life. She got uh, uh, the worst stage breast cancer, and she had the the worst type of surgery, you know, the radical mastectomy and all that. Uh, the insurance companies fought her tooth and nail about everything these doctors, and these were legitimate doctors she was dealing with, that, you know, that she had known, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, like, uh, they fought her when they, they had to do lymph node exploration and this and that, uh, when they went from radiation to chemo, or chemo to radiation. Man, the insurance companies fought her every step of the way, like trying to... It was like they were trying to intimidate her into giving up. And, uh, uh, like, I mean, this is a woman who's near death, and she's having to call insurance companies for, like, a week on the phone. She, uh, a week calling every day trying to get hold of these uh, SOBs that won't even answer the phone, you know, from these insurance companies. Steve, you are, um, your your passion is really evident, and it sounds like um, this experience was not only, it seems like it was not only 
difficult for your sister, but that it was also um, difficult for you and probably for the rest of your family to see her go through that. Um, it is, it's really unfortunate when we have situations arise where um, there is, unfortunately, you know, health, we talk about the healthcare team and people talk about how the team includes the doctors, the nurses, the pharmacists, and, you know, all the other people that participate in the care. And the payers, insurers, insurance companies, et cetera, they really um, are part of that team too. But unfortunately, um, they also have a goal of making money. And it doesn't mean that the people that work at insurance companies don't care about patients, but um, their focus tends to be most often on the the nuts and bolts and the documentation and whether things are necessary from their financial perspective, as opposed to they don't have the opportunity to see that family member that you see that you're caring for as they're going through their process. And, you know, for them, they just need to get things taken care of or they need their documentation to justify um, their reimbursement or what they're paying. And they don't get the chance to see how that impacts families and how disruptive it can be to a family who is dealing with a terminal illness or a severe illness or for you to have to have a conversation about finances while somebody is fighting for their lives. Um, I don't know that that all payers get a chance to experience that. And that's unfortunate. Um, We still try as much as we can from a physician standpoint to advocate for our patients and to work toward finding ways to make things easier for patients as they are working with um, insurers and insurance companies. But I am terribly sorry to hear that that was an experience that you and your family had to go through um, because it is devastating for a family to have to pull together to support a family member who is battling cancer And in the midst of that, the last thing that people want to have to worry about or deal with is fighting with or trying to justify um, getting reimbursement or coverage for something that they're paying into um, in, in really difficult times. I mean, insurance is something that we all pay for and hope we never need. But when the time comes that we need it, we all like to believe that it would be available and there and that it wouldn't be difficult for us to access those services because if we're asking for them, it's because we need them. But I thank you for calling and sharing your story. I'm sure that your experience, unfortunately, is probably not um, an isolated occurrence. There are probably many people out in our listening audience who have struggled very much like you and your sister have and your family has. Um, But we just, you know, we can't give up because the insurance companies aren't going away. Illness isn't going away. And so we just have to keep fighting to make it better. But thanks so much for that. And I hope that your sister has been able to recover. um, And that while this was a difficult thing for you, that she was still able to get the care that she needed. Hey, uh, can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, good. Well, uh, look, uh, 
Uh, she has recovered. And, uh, uh, Wonderful. The, the first thing she did when she recovered is she wanted cosmetic surgery, but, I mean, she didn't want, like, a, a, a chest rack like Pamela Anderson, you know. She just wanted her scar tissue to be uh, mitigated somewhat, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh I mean, that was like a, it took her a year to fight the engine companies, you know, and she was still weak as hell, you know. I mean, what do they do? They're, they're trying to beat people out of every nickel. I think it's, um, you know, it's really, like I said, it's unfortunate that um, it has to be a fight. Um, but the insurance companies are trying to be responsible with resources because the other thing is that they want to make sure that they have enough resources available to cover the things that people need covered. And so I think um, there has been historically a lot of debate about reconstructive surgery. And now I think um, more insurers and the medical community and other advocacy groups have really helped um, the payers to see that um, this reconstructive piece is really kind of a part of treatment and how that shouldn't be considered something that is just whimsical um, or that is unnecessary, but can be a very important part of the healing for a woman who has experienced a bout with cancer and can be very much a part of helping her get back on the road to recovery, not just from a physical stance, but also from an emotional standpoint. And I think that that's great that there's finally some recognition to payers acknowledging the whole person and not just one particular disease or one particular diagnosis, but kind of how the ravages of treatment for cancer can sometimes leave a person in a very different place and that there are things that can be done medically to kind of help put them back on the mend besides just treating their cancer, but also physically trying to leave them much more intact. But great points. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, We're about to take a break. We'll be coming up on our last segment. Steve got in a phone call. If you guys want to get in, this is your last opportunity. 1-877-MPB-RING. This is Michelle Owens of Southern Remedy for Women, and we'll be right back. Conventions are over. Candidates have been nominated with less than three months to Election Day. We don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but we will be here to help you understand it. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. Your favorite MPB Think Radio shows are now available on your favorite podcast app. So open that app and subscribe to any local program you love, like Everyday Tech. Android does have the most delicious operating system, I find. Jelly, is it jelly beans? The Gestalt Gardener. What's up? What you got going on? And, of course, MPB's Season Pass with myself, Sam Wells, and Jay White. That's my guys, man. So what are you waiting for? Go search and subscribe today.
This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to women at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. And we're back for the final segment of Southern Remedy for Women. This is the Breast Show, where Dr. Allie Brown and Dr. Michelle Owens endeavor to give you the breast information around. Oh, stop. <laughs> I had to do it. We're, we're breast friends, you and me. <laughs> we're breasties. So oh, um, the music was like... <laughs> Jay's like, okay, enough. Stop it. Um, so, yeah, we are talking about breast disease today. More than just, um, thank you for that. Thanks, Jay. Um, more than just breast cancer, although we um, have already had one caller who came in and shared um, some good news and bad news about some of the real struggles. Yeah, reality, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the reality of the struggles that people face um, as they're going through this process and some of the fr- financial frustrations. Um, among other things. Um, but now we have some folks who have snuck in before we are coming off the air. So we'll get a chance to go to Sharon in Mobile. Good morning, Sharon. Hello. Hi. Good morning. What's your hey, question? Good morning. Yes, I wanted to find out the latest on uh, what your thoughts are on MRI as part of the breast imaging and what are the latest findings on that in the use for breast workup, masses, things like that. And I'll just take your response uh, off the air. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, thanks for that question, Sharon. And, and I'll answer just from my standpoint. Um, being a breast pathologist, I work really closely with breast imagers and with the, the clinicians dealing with patients. And the uh, data out there have always been kind of uh, different from study to study as far as um, the risks versus benefits of MRI. And you might say, what's the risk? Well, the risk is that it has been shown in many studies to lead to um, more biopsies. So there, an MRI is very sensitive, and the more sensitive a test is, the more times it might say that there's something wrong and there really isn't. So as far as its efficacy over um, digital mammography, which is pretty much everyone uses digital mammogram today, I think is still... Uh, in question. Certainly MRIs are recommended for women who have high risk of getting breast cancer, like women with the BRCA or BRCA genes. Uh, That's one uh, type of recommendation and and in other uh, instances. But I would say for a woman with an average risk, uh, having going through uh, regular screening as recommended by pretty much every national task force uh, would be with uh, digital mammography annually. Absolutely. I think um, just to kind of echo that, the data just hasn't been conclusive for screening. However, you may, with a breast surgeon or a bre- breast specialist, be referred for an MRI for a specific indication where they may feel that the MRI might add some additional information. But um, just from a screening standpoint, it hasn't been shown to be superior at this point. Um, to mammography for screening. That's right. And also uh, having a breast MRI in a center where a lot are performed and read by the radiologists, I think is is, is another key, a high volume center. Thanks for that question. So now we're going to go to Thelma, who's calling from Starkville. Good morning, Thelma. Good morning. 
Uh, first, I want to say I am, I really look forward to your show every week and oh, indeed thanks. all the Southern Remedy shows. Oh, that's so sweet of you. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> I am, as you might have guessed, uh, an older woman, and um, I've worked with many young women and indeed have a few in my family, grandchildren and nieces and so, who have had really difficult uh, periods, like really heavy periods like we used to call flooding, and uh, can't seem to get what I deem as uh, adequate help with that until they are so anemic that they are practically falling out. And I I don't understand that. Uh, It's just been my experience. So I'd like you you could come in on that, please. Absolutely. So Another comment, please. Okay. Um, About breastfeeding. Um, I have also had the experience of talking with a few young women who are reluctant to breastfeed because their breasts are uh, very sensitive, erogenous zones for them. And they are uh, afraid about, you know, that breastfeeding and the connection and all that. And they don't have anybody to talk to about that. So I wish you'd come in on that, please, too. Okay, wonderful. Um, Those are actually both great questions, and thank you. So first of all, with respect to um, heavy periods, um, there are a number of reasons why younger women can have heavy periods. And the most common one is um, as they are first starting their periods, um, it can be the hormones haven't quite gotten... Um, they haven't quite gotten used to the hormones as they are supposed to change cyclically throughout the body on a regular basis. So one of the reasons why bleeding can be heavy is called uh, anovulatory bleeding or bleeding that happens because um, there is not uh, regular ovulation. So it can be irregular in time or it can just be um, very heavy. Um, there can sometimes be the presence of other things that can make um, periods heavy, fibroids and those kinds of things, but that's more commonly seen in women after 20 years old, so usually in their mid-30s or so. Um, other reasons that women can have heavy periods, sometimes um, there can be an undiagnosed uh, problem with blood clotting or a problem with blood clotting that's called Van, Van Willebrand's disease. And so what it does is it predisposes people to have problems with extra or excess blood loss. Um, so the bleeding disorders can be another reason. So those are kind of just three things. Um, other things that can contribute to heavy periods are also obesity as well. So body habitus is another thing to take into consideration. I do, because this is breast-related, want to get to this very last thing before we have to uh, take off. And that's with the respect to breastfeeding and the erogenous uh, nipple stimulation question that you posed. So yes, about 80% of women say that their breasts or nipples actually enhance or can stimulate sexual desire. But when we are talking about breastfeeding, those things tend to be separate. And actually less than 2% of women actually say that they have experienced any kind of stimulation during that time. So that shouldn't be anything to scare people away from breastfeeding. It is a wonderful opportunity to bond with your baby. And the sexual stimulation is very minimal compared to um, when you're not in the mode of feeding your child. So please encourage them because um, it's a wonderful thing. It has great benefits for the baby. 
thank you so much. Um, we're going to see you next week. This is Southern Remedy for Women, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center by generous support from the members of the Foundation for Public Broadcasting in Mississippi. Have a great weekend. This forecast is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the My Blue mobile app. More at bcbsms.com. Beautiful blue skies so far across the state, but we are going to see those cumulus clouds bubble up and, yep.